Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Neurostick Podcast. We are on a mission to flip script on neurodiversity in cybersecurity, technology, society, and culture. My name is Nathan Chung, and today my special guest wishes to maintain her privacy, and we will address her as Christina. Welcome, Christina. Hi, Nathan. Thank you so much for having me on your podcast. Great. Autism is a very controversial mental health condition that affects social skills, repetitive behaviors, speech, and nonverbal and nonverbal behaviors, nonverbal communication. I myself was diagnosed with autism this past January, so I know growing up with autism was is and was very it was very hard for me, and it affects me to this day. So I can imagine it's harder to uh, to be a parent with parenting a child with autism. So what is, what is it like being a parenting a, your child who has autism? Um, well, I think as a parents of like an autistic child, you know, your first part of the journey is denial. Um, you don't want it to be you. <laughs> I think a lot of it is like when, like as a, especially for a mom, when you're pregnant, you already have this visions of life that you have for your child. And when they were born, you were, you know, trying to make that vision happen. Um, you feel like you have lots of control that you can, you know, change their life or provide them to have the life that you wish for them. So when, you know, you find out their autistic, autism diagnosis, your first reaction is that, oh, that reality that I have for that child is now shattered. How do you build up from there? And I wish I'm, you know, can just go in and be like, you know what, let's just rebuild this. I will have this new visions. It, it took a long time to kind of get out from that denial and accept that, you know, my child is going to be different and it will take time to accept that and learn to how to help them differently. So I would say uh, living with denial was, you know, part of it, a lot of guilt. And then finally realizing, accepting that your child is not in any dangers, they're not suffering. You have to kind of get over yourself and realize a new reality for them. So I guess I kind of answer your question. <laughs> um, but yeah, it is very, very difficult for parents because mm -hmm. I think, you know, that amount of guilt that you take upon yourself, especially myself being, you know, Asian American, um, you felt very responsible for, you know, how this could impact their life. And you wish that things could be easier for them, you know? Absolutely. Absolutely. And uh, next question, have you have you gotten your child tested and diagnosed? Yeah, we actually gone through like a few specialists because um, I know that in the um, autistic community, they don't really like the tens, like high functioning, low functioning and these stuff. But she was very difficult to detect because, um, you know, it was the teachers at her preschool who notify us first and they were very concerned with the way she behaved and they felt like you know since she's only she just turned three years old it could be a really good time to get her tested so when we went to our pediatrician she ruled out almost immediately like no that's 
your daughter's fine. She's making eye contact. She is smiling. She's conversing. She's fine. But then I don't know. Something just doesn't sit right with us. And I don't like. I'm like in denial, but also being persistent at the same time. This <laughs> is just such a weird thing. <laughs> so we went to see like a, a specialist, and then the specialist would say, "Oh, maybe she has some speech delay. She's not really comprehending. Why don't you stop speech uh, therapies?" So we start speech like therapies, but then the specialist again rule out autism again, and she's at like at that time she's three and a half. Then finally, we got involved with the school board psychiatrist who actually observed her for a much longer duration of time. I mean, with the doctors and specialists, the, they they only seeing her for like fifteen to thirty minutes top, but the psychiatrist was really there to observe her in a social environment, really seeing how she interact with older kids, kids her age, and even adults. And then they came back with like a report saying that okay, yes, we think she really is, and she can really benefit from these help. If you don't agree with our diagnosis, you can go somewhere else. But I think like seeing that final report and seeing how she was interacting definitely with other kids confirm our belief that you know our daughters can really benefit from early interventions. You know. Yep, absolutely, and it's it's great you. Cut, cut that early because, like, like in my case, I've had it for more than forty plus years, and I think we're very lucky that now, in today's age, more and more people in like at the in schools and the daycare they, they're able to detect detect it early. So I think I think we're you're you're very lucky. Yeah, I mean, well, I had to take a step back. I was being a a pain in the butt. To be honest, because when the teacher first approached me, it's all kind of emotionate, and it's not like,、mm. "Oh, really? That's good to hear. Let me get." No, it was like, "I don't think so. Are you sure?、Mm. Like, how many kids? I mean, are you? Well, you seems like a pretty young teacher. What do you know?" He <laughs> was like, "Oh, he's been questioning <laughs> that person." But then, toward the end of the school year, I just can't thank her educators enough. Like, because they were so persistent,、mm. and. Because how much they care for my child, it makes me trust them so much. And and when I get to see it for myself, I saw what they were talking about. And I think, I mean, I was kind of like a terrible person in the beginning, not gonna lie. But to come around it, I think they helped me a lot too. Yep. That's, <laughs> yes. <laughs> you shouldn't beat yourself up. It's totally understandable. It is a lot to go through the shock and.、Uh, It's easy to be defensive when there's someone says, "Oh, there's something wrong with your child." <laughs> <laughs> Angry, fear, shock. It's,、yeah. it's all natural. Yeah. So what 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 has been the your greatest challenges day to day as a parent? I think with like the whole COVID situations,、um, because you're so isolated, you don't really know like what is normal. Or like what, like other people are experiencing, right? So,、um, early in the earlier days,、um, she just started her speech therapies, but because it was COVID just hit, we never got sessions in person. Everything was done over VC. So, getting these therapies over VC is so difficult for a child because they don't understand what's going on. Like, why、mm. are they forced watching a screen? Why are they talking to this person? Um, so getting it situated was hard, 
And then another thing that for me was challenging, it's also COVID related, is I have to kind of like, do I put her on the mask, trust that the school is doing the best they could so she can get the social time she really desperate needs? Or do I, you know, keep her safe at home because COVID is going on and she could get sick? To me, making those choices and decisions every day was very, very difficult because, you know, I have a younger daughter. So if I was trying to get Kira all the social time she needs, which will help her like social panatic skill, I'm also exposing her to risk of getting COVID and my younger child who, you know, is staying at home with us. So making those decisions like day after day during the COVID time was one of the biggest challenge. And I think, you know, on top of her not being able to communicate, telling us how she felt in the very beginning of the speech therapy journey was also really hard because I don't know what she wants. Because like there are times that I think, you know, I will get so frustrated, not at her, but at myself, not being able to offer her more helps. And I mean, we were fighting with like the hospital, like, can we just do one in-person session? I think she would just make so much more improvement if she can just see the teachers in person and no luck, you know? So like you've, you already have your day-to-day life going on. Mm. You, you have a normal child that you need to pay attention to. And then you have a special need child and then COVID. Like there are times that I feel like, you know, my will is like crushing down on me you know? I'm like, Ah, what do I do? <laughs> I don't have all the answers, you know. <laughs> yeah. Yes, it must. COVID, during COVID is it's not just you, but I think a lot of people suffered. But I can imagine it. It is kind of like you described. It's much harder. Like you want to help your child, you want to do so many things, but COVID, like you're forced to work from home. You got to take time off from work, and yeah. it's like balancing many, many, many balls at the same time. Yeah. And I can imagine the it probably all this probably strained your marriage as well and he, he talked about that how how has your child's autism and how has it affected your marriage oh that was a tough one because you know like earlier i talked about how you know we have these expectations this reality that we sort of created for our child before they were even born and you know my husband and i would still two different individuals, we have different way to process these informations and um, different way to like kind of, you know, accept the truth. Um, I think it took me, it actually took me longer time than him to accept it. And so while, you know, he is being proactive, he wants to get the ball rolling, I'm still sort of like, you know, not ready for it, I'm not ready to say the word autistic for the longest time, you know. And even when I talked to my parents about it, I couldn't even kind of tell them what happened, you know. Um, and I sort of like kind of kept a secret <laughs> to myself and from everyone around me um, for a long time. And because I have something like, because I'm keeping this secret to myself, while you know, my husband is kind of encouraging, well, you should talk about it with someone. I felt like you no longer together as a team because he has already gotten over it, accepted it, but I haven't. And they create lots of frictions. It's like, why can you understand this? Why can you understand this is so hard for me to accept? So that journey that we took to get to the same 
you know, same, same, same place. It was very different. And, and that was like the first time I felt like in my marriage that, oh, we, like when things are exactly outside of our control, um, it's like you, it tests your trust in each other way more than ever, you know? And um, I'm very lucky that in the end, I learned to lean on him and I learned to just let go of the control and really trust him. And it really helped us to take our marriage to the next stage. But there were so many times, so many rough spots. I felt like I was so alone in an island. And I remember one time, just, I don't even remember the fights, but we're fighting about our daughter again on like the approach or whatever. And then he kind of remind me again, like, I'm your biggest ally. I'm your teammate. We're in the same team. We're in the same team. Like, don't push your teammate away. And that kind of like reminded me that he isn't my enemy. He isn't someone who tried to be competitive with me. I don't know why I thought that, but that he is just my teammate. Maybe he's getting to the goal a little bit faster, but he is trying to pull me over there too. And I think realizing that just completely changed my perspective. On, on how to even operate my marriage, you know? <laughs> yes. Yeah. But yeah, you, you probably have a good point. I, when you go through such difficulties and such crises, it is so important to be be a team and to work together. Wow. Very, and <clears throat> also, the I think the other thing you mentioned, Kyle, you feel like oftentimes you feel alone. Do you, I think what complicates it even more is Asian culture. <laughs> itself yeah. like did you feel like did you feel isolated from your parents because of it definitely <clears throat> because it's like just so much shame attached to yes being like you know like in asian culture is like everything you do it's about um it's about your parents right your yes parents saying um how it's not so much about what the kids want it's about what the parents want for the kids you know so if there's something wrong with the kids, you are the one who's responsible for it. There's a lot of shame attached to it. It's like this, like, oh, you gotta make me proud. You gotta, you know, bring honor to the family. I know it's like so cheesy, but it it's cheesy because it's, it's true. Like hmm. to me, it's like, oh, this happened. How do I even explain to my parents? How do they not think this is an issue? That this is something that we can overcome as a family. So it took me a long time to even like open up to my parents and just share this with them. Unfortunately, my mom, you know, she's still in complete denial. She thinks that I'm just making things up because I don't know. But my dad, you know, he understands and he is willing to, you know, be a source of just a place that I can talk to. But my mom today, I can't, I still can't even bring, like, I can't even even start to say something about it with her without her just blowing up on me. Hmm. So it's very difficult to talk about with my family. Yeah, I totally yeah. understand that. <laughs> Even in my family, we never talked about it, never. Because for me, growing up with autism was hard, but growing up in a traditional Asian family with autism was harder because yeah. centuries of Asian history and culture based on Confucianism, it's puts a lot of pressure on Asian families to focus on academics and just being successful. On top of that, a strong sense of duty and responsibility to take care of one's family. This leads to many Asians to not seek mental health assistance because to admit, 
kind of to your point, because uh, because to admit that they have mental issues is would bring shame to their families. Yes. So they hide it and deny it. I came to understand how deeply rooted this was in Asian families when I saw the documentary last year um, titled Laundromat that was made by Vanessa Vanessa E. Mm-hmm. In it, she explains how Asian families are pushed to succeed at the cost of their mental health and happiness, mm-hmm. and they must remain silent. Also, how this mindset leads to high rates of mental illness for for Asian women, and that sometimes leads to suicide. I was shocked when the director explained all this and talked about her own mental health issues. That, when, for example, when her mom got sick, she could never talk about it, not even with her own family and not, not definitely not with her friends. And watching that film, it it hit me. She is absolutely right because <laughs> in my own family, I'm the only one in my family to get <laughs> to get formally diagnosed with my. Autism and ADHD, and to be open about it, that led to sh- shock and anger even within my own family. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I was free of the mental chain that kept me a prisoner. Now, do people hate me for being an Asian American with autism and ADHD? Yes, many do because they think being open and honest, they because they want to hide it. But I think being open and honest is the first step. In getting help, but how, how do you feel, Christina? And what, you talked about what it's like in your family, but mm. I can imagine it—it it must be very lonely not having that support for your mom. Yeah, I think for me, I mean, it took a lot for me to be able to talk about this topic so calmly. I think just a year ago, even just talking about like something so minor as like, oh, I know that something is going on with your daughter. I would just start crying already because it's such a lonely experience. On top of that is, you know, my parents saw how you know how successful I've become. You know, I was always the child who get good grade, did well with school, follow the path that they always expect me to follow. And to me, like my children should follow the same path as I do and fulfill what they have for. Quote, quote, the American dream that they set out when they come to this country, you know. So mm-hmm. to see that path being like not fulfilled, and me being so open about it, they felt like if I'm bringing up to any of my family on, you know, on my my side of the family, it would be them failing at raising us, or somehow it reflect poorly on them, and have given me so much.、Um, Mental strain and and caused so much stress in my life. I mean, I've gotten like very depressed at one point in my life, even you know suicidal at one point, just because、mm-hmm. I felt like, um, uh, how can I carry this torch? How can I, you know, um, hide that my daughter is autistic in front of my family, but in the same time, get her the treatment that she needs? It's like such a conflicted, um, uh. The, the things I have to deal with constantly, and 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 even when I told my mom that oh, um, mom, I'm I'm depressed. I I think I should see someone, and she's like, you're not crazy. You don't need to see anyone. So it's immediately it's like you know she, like your family think that if you have mental issues, you are crazy. You need to go to like asylum. No, I just <laughs> I just want to talk to someone. So there was like this 
total disconnect between mm. having, you know, needing help with your mental health versus, oh, you have mental illness that require you to be isolated from the rest of the world. So for them, it's like, it goes to this very extreme place. Um, I think for me, the first time I got acceptance was when I decided to talk about my experience very openly on Clubhouse, also semi-anonymously in like a like an autism society, uh, just like an event. I just decided, you know, I would just go on top and just talk about it. And I realized that when I'm able to talk about it, that's when I can accept myself and that's when I no longer feel the shame and that's when healing actually happens. And even though my mom is not so accepting of the reality, I'm gonna keep talking to her about it. I want to normalize it. I don't want it to, because I feel like the more you hide it, the more you don't talk about it, the more shame and stigma you attach to it. And it's not a shame, it's not a stigma. My child is perfectly healthy, he's very happy, and I want people to not see it as a stigma. And I need to be able to see that not as a stigma and be open about it. Absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. And my heart goes out to you because what you described, it's, it's not uncommon. I, I think in many, many, many Asian families, even though they don't say it, with just COVID alone, I'm sure many, many Asians living in the U.S. suffer from the stigma where you cannot talk about anything, just yeah. they just have to suffer alone. So I think it's incredible that you are a little more, <laughs> little more open to talking about it and to free yourself as well to not not hide from all this and it reminds me of a short film on disney it's called float where oh i, I see that yeah you just, like, that, that was very powerful especially for me it's it's just, beautiful oh there was a scene that that shorts where the dad was short, yes. yelling, yelling at the yes boy. yes that was so powerful and dropped the whole <laughs> most of it where the dad is just literally hiding it's like wants the kid to walk normally and suppress what makes this kid special. And I think many of us, many parents and children with autism can understand and relate to that one story. It's, it's a short story in fiction, but it is just so powerful. And yeah. at the end, when the dad screamed at the kid, why can't he be normal? It's like, oh. I can't help but get emotional just looking at that because in Asian families, you're right, the stigma, the pressure, it is all there. The pressure to succeed, pressure to be normal, the pressure to, like, quoting like Mulan, like, bring honor to your family. Yeah, I know, it's, <laughs> it's such a cheese ball. But it is, it is <clears throat> it's kind of like that. But similarly to Mulan, it's like, when she accepted, and when other people accepted her for who she is, the joy, the happiness, it's all there. Yeah. And over the, uh, what what have you found worked to help help your daughter cope with autism? I think once I start, you know, accepted it, my world and what I view this changed completely. It went from this is a shame, I have to hide, so much stigma, I'm getting myself depressed because I'm trying to balance it out to now like 
once I fully embrace it and accept that this is my reality and this is what I need to do to help her to thrive with her autisms, that's when I start thinking about like, okay, what does she like to do? Mm-hmm. What what does she really enjoy doing? Let's explore her interests and hobby. I don't want her to, you know, need to excel the traditional way. What is something that can make her feel very happy? So one thing that she does a lot and how it in our home is that she likes to dance. She specifically likes to just dance all the time, but she also likes to tiptoe. It's like one of the things that she does that she tiptoes all the time. And she always get, you know, asked to not tiptoe. It's like, please, can you not tiptoe? Can you walk? And she always would like walk for a bit and then she would tiptoe again. And I'm like, okay, what is something that she can do that she can tiptoe all the time and be praised for tiptoeing all the time? Ballet. <laughs> you know? ah. And then, and then um, and she loved dancing, right? So I took her to the first ballet class. And then, of course, like she did terrible the first day. She can't really follow instructions. She doesn't understand the environment. In, I don't know if you've been to like a little girl ballet class. It's so freaking quiet. The girls don't talk, but she loves to talk. She likes to have that wow. comfort, you know? So she was like, mommy, look at me. I did it. I'm tiptoeing. I'm tiptoeing all the time. I'm like, yes, go tiptoe, tiptoe the tiptoe i'm like more excited like just being so animated because like she needs a lot of like uh, um you know confirmation that this is an okay place to be so i'm watching her all animated and then she's like i just have never seen her that happy she's finally in a place that she can tiptoe all she wants and she's being praiseful so every day she'll wake up she asked me is today ballet class can we go to ballet class because it's like the environment that she can just be how she wants to be without, you know, telling her not to do something. And, you know, um, she's getting very uh, stimulated because she's get to exercise. She get to follow a very orderly physical routine and she start getting to know her teachers and her her classmate, even though she's still the only person's like talking all the time in the class. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I, I just love to see how happy she, she is. And, I have to say, like, when I was looking at her dancing, taking photos of her, I saw the parents around me. They were just on their phone. And then I'm like, I was like, sometimes I would see that kids dancing. So I'm like, you're missing out. Look, your kids are that. What the heck? But, like, this, I've seen, like, dancing and especially, like, very rigorous type of training really help her thrive. And it makes me so happy that she finds something that she loves so much that I'm able to provide for her, you know? Mm, absolutely. <laughs> and I have never heard of ballet as a coping mechanism for autism, but that's the very first time. But I can imagine, like, was it the first time you, see, you saw your daughter do ballet? Was Did you get emotional seeing her that happy? I think when she, well, when she was able to let go of all the restrictions mm. and just dance however the way she won, and I saw how happy she was, I felt like um, I felt like I felt very proud, not only of her but also like myself because I finally accepted like how she is and this is this is what is going to make her happy. And that's the most important thing. Nothing else matter. Wow. That's then, beautiful. <laughs> on our way home on the first day, 
um, oh my God, I'm getting a little bit emotional. She was saying that, <laughs> mommy, I try my best today. And I, I look at her, I was like, I try my best too. <laughs> <You know? Yeah. laughs> we both try our best. <laughs> yep, yep, yep. Yeah. And it does remind me, I think there was a show back in the 80s or 90s that I used to watch called Quantum Leap where a girl's deaf and she turns out that even though she's deaf, she can feel the music when she does ballet. Like her power, she can literally, she cannot hear the music, but she can feel it and she can do ballet at a very like expert level, more better than others can. And these are sound similar, I think. It's incredible that your daughter discovered ballet and she can actually like be herself. You know, maybe, maybe one day she can become a world-class ballerina. I think something like that might change your mom's mind. Just to look, yeah. instead of look at the negative, look at the positive, look at all the amazing things she's doing. <laughs> and I think that's beautiful. And just like watching her do it, it's like, it's so self-motivated. Cause mm -hmm. I, I can see that there are kids there. They don't want to be there. Mm -hmm. that parents drag them there and then it kind of just remind me like of like a lot of my childhood that i was dragged mm -hmm. things that i don't want to be or say hi to people i don't like but then for her she's like so self-motivated she wants to do this so much this is what makes her so happy and because in the ballet class i mean the first class right she couldn't even do the whole class she only do 10 15 minutes and she had to like get out mm -hmm. It's just too much instruction, too much stimulations. Hmm. And then as we go to more of these classes, I can see that she become better at focusing and paying attention. Like her attention span has increased because, you know, like the ballet class has helped her so much. And and I really think that like, you know, because she finally finds something that she really enjoys, she can finally learn and have realize there's a way to learn something is that you do have to pay attention and she is able to train herself to do it and I, mm. I just find this whole thing amazing so when there was one time she finished the whole class she didn't get out of the dance floor she just finished the whole class wow. even though all her thing was not perfect but it's Nathan it's 45 minutes you have an autistic <laughs> child paying attention doing every single move and I was so impressed. Even the ballet dance the ballet teacher came to me and said, she did it. She did the whole class today. I'm like, I know. For like a lot of kids, but for her, it was a challenge. But it also just shows me how much she loved this. She loved it so much that she's just willing to put all her attention on it, you know? Yeah. That is incredible. And I, I praise you for literally letting go of control and letting your daughter be herself. I, I think that's just, it's so amazing, but it's, it's hard to do in Asian families where it, in many Asian families, it is all about control. Like I can imagine like in some countries in Asia, it's like you do what I say or else you get smacked, sadly. Yes. yes. And uh, it goes back to the whole Asian culture. Like it is very stigmatizing where you gotta essentially follow your parents' lead, you gotta do what your parents, you essentially gotta, mostly, you gotta give up your own happiness. And I think compared to that, what you're doing is, it's amazing. It is pretty much amazing that you can look, look past all that and to let your daughter be herself. Yeah, it took a lot of training, not gonna lie. I mean, when you mentioned that film from, that, that, that film from Disney about 
Yep. Uh, yeah. Float. Yes. That that line that the parents said, "Why can't you just be a normal child?" I've said that before, and I felt horrible after. Mm. My husband has said it before, and I heard him say it, and he has mm. felt horrible. Mm. It's like, you know, I have to constantly challenge myself. Like, why are you picking a fight with a four years old? Mm. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> why are you doing this? Is it to make yourself feel better? Is it because you worry about what people think of you? Or do you really worry about what people think of her?、Mm. What is that that you really worry about? And then, as you like, as I dig deeper, I realize a lot of this fear is because I worry what people think of me. Yes, not so much about her. She's perfectly happy. She doesn't care what people think of her at all at this age. She just does what makes her happy, and like she's only upset because she saw that I was upset. So what am I trying to teach her that she needs to care about what people think of her? And I think that kind of get me into this like, gosh, why did I yell at my four year old? But yeah, that's very powerful. I think <clears throat> that's the, that's a huge reason why I'm doing this podcast. Yeah. When I research, because throughout history, when I research, there are many, many, many people that have contributed to our history, like、uh, Nikolai Tesla, Beethoven, even Su- Susan Boyle, or even a、uh, Dan Aykroyd, or even a、uh, Steve Branson. Many of these famous, famous, amazing people throughout history, they are either openly autistic or are highly likely to be autistic. And history is just full of people like that. So I think that is part of the problem. Like we gotta, when we see people who are different, we should stop thinking. Negatively, we should think of think of them as being different. Yes, they're different, but it's a positive thing. Just look at all these famous people throughout history. Who knows? Your daughter could could one day be just like that as well. Maybe she she'll become a world class ballerina. Maybe, which I think there are very very few Asian ballerinas in the world. I think <laughs> it's not the most lucrative. You know, your parents always think about: Is this lucrative? Is it gonna get you like? Big house and lots of money. Yeah, you know?、yep. um, I know that feeling. Yeah, because growing up in my family, the desire from parents and grandparents, of course, of、oh, doctors or lawyers. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think I think the other way I try to look at it is,、um, it's like how much I've learned from you know raising my daughters because like how much she's teaching me、it、really helped my relationship with.、Um, My colleagues at work,、um, mm. what I don't know, you just start having like this extra layer of compassion that you have for people. Like you、mm. become more understanding of other people's situations.、Mm. Because like a lot of time, for example,、uh, in the past, I'm a pretty uptight professional <laughs> in general. Like I'm really uptight. Like if someone's like five minutes late, I'm like, gosh, why is this person such a like whatever? Why is this person late? Why is this? Then, like, ever since I, you know, you know, my experience, with my daughter is like, maybe you know, he has a really hard day. Maybe I should just check in with that person and see how they are doing.、Mm, yes. Personally, it made me become a much more compassionate people person, and I felt like I went from someone who is so critical and even cynical to someone that I felt like I have a lot more compassion for others, and then.、Uh, And then I realized that you know, even if my daughter doesn't become anything in the future, if he, if she has like a very happy childhood, and she can help other people to become very compassionate, then to me that's that's success. 
Absolutely. <laughs> and this brings up another question. Uh, how about among your friends and coworkers? Are you open about you know about your daughter's autism with your friends and coworkers? So, and if so, how do they feel? Like, do you feel <laughs> comfortable sharing it? Yeah, yeah, their reactions been interesting, you know, <laughs> like, because like this is the first time they hear about it, right? I already have like a year and a year and a half to deal with it, accepted it, so I already come out like, oh, this is just the thing that I have to deal with. But there are colleagues that maybe uh, from beginning our conversation find out for the first time. Um, I think they didn't know how to react to it. I think the first reaction is like, oh, I'm so sorry, Emily. Oh, I'm so sorry, Christina. <laughs> you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, and then, and then, and then, or like, oh, I'm so sorry that your family is going through this. But to me, it's like, wait, why are you feeling sorry for me? So it's like a lot of like people feeling like they have to show sympathy, but no, like it's, it's not like that. And and it's, it also gave me an opportunity to like educate. I'm like, oh no, it, it's all right. It's not a secret. I'm not trying to hide it. You don't have to treat it as a secret. You don't have to hide it. You can talk about it if you want. Because like, I feel like the first time they were like, oh, Chai, like, keep it between us. It's mm. something. I'm like, no, 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 no. It, we can totally talk about it. Please, this is not a secret. This is just, just my family, you know? That's yeah. actually good. Because watching okay. a award-winning film based on a book from Japan called uh, Reason I Jump. And on mm. the film, it talks about how in many countries, like, uh, I think Sierra Leone and in the countries in Africa and even but not the, in many countries and communities, having all, having a child with autism is very, as it's such a negative stigma, like in Sierra Leone, they, if you have a child with autism, they think your child must be uh, from the devil or something. It is really negative. And the end result is some parents even abandon their children to, to die in the field. It's like, it is heartbreaking that some, some society and the cultures demonize autism to that extent. But compared to that, it sounds like your your coworkers are very supportive. So that's that's a very good thing. I think they just it's just it's almost like people feel sorry for you, like oh they feel like oh you must have a very tough life now. Hmm. Um, but I always want to use that opportunity and said no, actually, my life is enlightened because of my child. I become a better person because of her. You know, and mm, I absolutely. I think people don't really automatically draw that conclusions because like, how would you, it's kind of like some of the question I would get was like, well, would you prefer a normal child, quote, quote, normal child oh. over your, you know, oh like, you know, people ask like tough questions because they, they also, they, again, they haven't had that year and a half that I have been dealing with it. Right. So they would be like confused. Why do you feel like you're happy? Oh, you're just saying it because you don't have a choice. Hmm. But, the way I explain to them is that, um, you know, transformation doesn't happen overnight, right? I know the mental states I was in before um, having this, you know, experience, and I was not a happy person. And I have to go through a lot of things, hiding, feeling shame. But because of my child, I never mm. felt this, you know, courage to just share my story and able to accept myself for who I am. Um, and even like talk to my parents about my mental health issues, you know, like I would never do that if that was like two and a half, three years ago, you know? Mm. Yeah. Yep. That's a good point. Yeah. And I think it's, 
<laughs> it's a beautiful thing that you're sharing with them because <laughs> like we can all learn from each other. Like the ballet thing, ballet story you shared. Mm -hmm. I, I've never ever heard of anyone using ballet as a coping mechanism. And also the, I overall, I really love your story. And I can imagine that many families all over the world understand your trials and tribulations and they can relate to your story. It is a very hard journey. And I, I thank you for sharing that. Yeah, I'm only in the beginning of it and it's hard, mm. but it's also really, really rewarding. Um, yes. She's teaching me new things every day and it does come with some perks. I mean, I, mm -hmm. <laughs> I like yeah. have this conversation a little bit. Like my child, she's so obsessed with like memorizing some of the most obscure thing. Oh Sometimes yes. I would be like, oh, can you memorize this address? I would be like, okay, grandpa live here. Uh, and then next time when I have to turn on the GPS and stuff like looking at my phone, like <laughs> ask my daughter, like what's grandpa's address? And she would like, tell me the address. I only told her like once or twice and she will like regurgitate it. Wow, that's incredible. <laughs> and then it's like, and then, but then on other random things, she will not remember. She's like, so she have a very selective, like obscure <laughs> and I'm totally taking advantage of it. <laughs> so, you know, you find all these like little humors and joy that you, you have with her. And, and, and it's just funny because like, when we're going through like um, her social pneumatic therapies and then just like, you know, learning about how to communicate with other people, it helped me with my work too. I learned better how to de-escalate a situation. Like, you know, disgruntled and like, you know, even when we're going through the speech therapies, right? When you ask people a question, they don't understand, like, you know, mm. when, like what do you want to eat tonight and she doesn't understand the questions because she doesn't she just doesn't have that language skill and i remember like oh you're supposed to offer them a choice of two if they don't understand mm. you know the question so i start doing it i would be like at work be like what do you think is our plan nobody said anything okay how about we do a or do b mm. and then people start having a discussion i'm like this is what i learned at speech therapies with my daughter you know <laughs> 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 so, you, you you're able to like because a lot of this, a lot of the thing that she's learning is it breaks down to like the basic, basic of like fundamentals of communications, you know? Absolutely. So it helps me. <laughs> yeah. Okay. But yeah, overall, I love your story. And I can imagine it's been hard for you. And I really praise that you, I praise your journey because it's a hard journey. It's a really hard journey. And thank you for sharing. Mm, and sure. I, 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 thank you, Christina, for coming on today. And uh, for more information on laundromat and for men, and for other mental health resources, you can please, you can visit uh, uh, listeners can visit www.thelaundromatdoc.com because being neurodivergent with conditions such as autism means we are different, not broken. Mm. And even for autistic people like me within the community when we are told like, if we were given a choice to be normal, a lot of people like me would, would reply, why would we want to be normal? That's, that, that, what, being normal would be boring. <laughs> That's why these differences should be celebrated. And also we are not alone. I thank you everyone for listening today to another episode of the Neurosic Podcast. And thank you, Christina, for being on. Thank you, Megan, for having me. Yep, catch the next episode if you can. And thank you again, Christina. 
Take care. Bye. Take care.